Hi, everyone. Back at you with another episode of ESEC Lending Insights, where we keep it unscripted, real, and interesting. Unscripted, Peter? I would say that's definitely true, but interesting. Why don't we let our listeners decide on that one? What we are here to do, folks, is share with you our thoughts and perspectives on the securities lending industry, whether that be about demand trends or just what's going on in the industry. And now over to our episode. Let's go. Today, I have my esteemed co-host with me, Jim Maroney. Mr. Bowser is off doing what he should be doing, which is selling and on a plane flying to see people. Jim and I are joined today by a guest speaker, and it's an exciting day on the ESEC Lending Insights podcast because we're going to start having some guest speakers outside of ESEC Lending join us on occasion. And today, our first guest speaker is Mr. Matt Chesum with S&P Global Market Intelligent. And Matt is a director at S&P, having joined just about six weeks ago or so. And Matt has an interesting journey in this market. He's been in the market for quite some time, but most recently as a beneficial owner, as well as one of our clients. And so Matt has gone from client to now where we are the client of his. And it just shows you, you have to be nice to people and always treat them well so that when the table has turned, things are okay. Hello, that's exactly what I was going to say to you, Brooke. Good job. I was so nice to you guys over the 11 years that I was at Aberdeen. I'm sure that you will be returning the favor in buckets. We're here today with you as guest speakers. So obviously it it went pretty well over those 11 years. So absolutely. It's good to be back. It's good to be back with ESET Lending, guys. I've missed you. Yes. Well, we've missed you as well. All right. So Matt, give us a sense now that you're at S&P Global, you guys obviously are looking at a number of data points in the market and doing a lot with the market's data and information and bringing forward commentary on a regular basis. But I know that you have just, I think maybe as soon as today or in the past day or so, released your commentary on the first half of 2022. And so we'd love to hear from you on that. Give us your update and tell us how the year's gone so far and maybe more or importantly, we can talk about what might be left to come. Sure. So look, so far, the first half of 2022 has been quite stellar, to be honest. There's been $6.1 billion worth of securities finance revenues generated. It's the best half year performance since 2008. Half uh, one revenues increased 12% year on year. That was really driven by a number of really special pieces of activity within the market, Corporate bond revenues were up 97%, believe it or not, year on year. ETP, so exchange traded products, they had a brilliant first half of the year as well. They generated $453 million. Asian equities, yet again, over a billion dollars in revenues for the first half. But really, I think one of the really standout areas was the US specials market. I think Q2 of 2022 saw an incredible $18 billion worth of on-loan special balances in the US equity market alone. So I think in summary, the first half of 2022 has been very, very good. I would say that the only asset class to note where that performance has not really followed through is in the ADR market. It was really the only poorly performing asset class throughout the first half of the year, and revenues were down about 67%. There's a number of reasons for that, but we can touch on those a little later on, if you like. Best half year since 2008. Jim, yes. does that feel your spidey sense? Does that sort of feel right to you in the trading world? I know that it has been a good year so far, but what is that? I mean, that that's 14 years or so. I mean, that, that's a long time. 
That is 14 years ago. Yikes. Yeah, it feels directionally correct. I think, Matt, a lot of the highlights you've touched on, we've seen, whether it's corporate bond balances, much higher, we've seen auctions go well in corporate bonds and our discretionary book for those who we lend out of the discretionary book, we've seen balances more than double. So it's definitely a space of growth. ETPs and ETFs makes complete sense. It's something I've seen in the market. We're not huge holders of a broad set of ETFs, even our client base, but definitely something we watch as an indication of where the market's headed or who's doing what. I think if you overlay, and then the US, Asia generating over a billion, that makes sense. Taiwan, Korea, and Japan kind of coming back is what, what we've seen there. But if you overlay, the, talk about the US market and the specials market and the revenue generated there. I don't know if you at market, Matt, do a whole lot of analysis between specials and GC. It's kind of uh, touchy-feely type stuff when you create your own line and, and say, this is special, this is GC. But definitely have seen it, say, from it's almost the you follow the VIX or the inverse of the S&P. As the S&P rallied from early June through five days ago, essentially, we saw more and more specials and shorts come on the books and those specials stuck and we had pricing power. We have able to re-rate and it's deja vu all over again. We, we were seeing the same names we saw a couple of years ago, the mean names, the Bed Bath & Beyond, GameStop, the AMC, all sorts of Siri, all these names that we had seen a while back become special again. And we're able to re-rate them moving from a 10 to a 15 pretty easily without balance coming off. And so that performance and then in general, as we saw the markets go down from, say, January till June, we saw balances rising. And so that was more shorts, but in the GC space. So it was a GC year. It makes total sense and it makes me feel better. The fact that I'm not making things up or reading tea leaves that don't actually exist. So good yeah, to well, hear that. If we look at the U.S. equity market in particular, balances, so revenues for the first half of 2022 were just over $2.2 billion. It's a 9% increase year on year. Balances were up as well, as you refer to, by 14% to around $669 billion in total as well. We had a number of top 10 shorts that probably equated to about 30% of all revenues in the U.S. themselves. So you can see that although there is a bit of a GC market available in the US, you know, those specials that you refer to, those meme stocks and others are really those big, massive revenue drivers that really have a lot of pricing potential in the market and hold a lot of value for beneficial owners that actually hold them in their portfolios. I mean, Lucid Group generated about $150 million in revenues alone. And I mean, I think that's one of the all-time most special assets um, since we have started recording data, to be honest. So, you know, there's definitely value out there. I suppose moving on, if we cross over to Europe, it was still a good first half of the year in Europe. Revenues were 851 million. That's 9% increase year on year. Balances were up as well, 14% to 265 billion. There was a recovery in the specials market. I would say, you know, Mercedes-Benz, Varta, I think everybody knows Varta very well and the revenues that have been generated off it. But utilisation as well in Europe increased 21%, which was interesting. Now, outside of the more traditional markets, the UK, France, Germany, German revenues were up 16%, but in the UK, they were down 15%. And in France as well, they were down 10%. But where it is interesting is Scandinavia in particular saw quite a surge in revenues, Norwegian equities, Revenues up 60%, Swedish equities, 
revenues up 30%. And our intelligence tells us that that's really about the market composites of the market indices in those countries and how they're linked more to kind of consumable stocks that have really been affected by inflation surges, et cetera, et cetera. So there's been a lot more shorting activity that's taken place across that region. If we move on to Asia-Pacific, as we mentioned before, revenues were just over a billion in the first half of the year. That wasn't as good as the second half of 2022, but it's the second consecutive half of generating over a billion dollars. As you alluded to in the beginning, South Korea and Taiwan were really the drivers of those two. I think the short selling restrictions being lifted in uh, South Korea, that definitely had an impact. And Taiwan is definitely one market to watch. I mean, the average fees in Taiwan are very high because it's difficult to access, I would imagine. But average on loan balances have increased by 34% year on year. So that says to me that there are more participants entering that market. So it'd be interesting to see what happens to the average fees. Performance for Asia probably then would have been down for many year over year, but there's just that much more activity, that much more lendable assets and market participation in the Asian markets overall, which is why broad-based market revenue is up still versus the second highest half year ever in terms of total revenue, but overall performance being down. Okay. I've got a question there, Matt. Does market do much analysis on the denominator there on the supply side? I'm wondering if just broadly speaking, clients might have seen over the last five years a global equity portfolio reduction in revenues generated, yet the total revenue in the market is seemingly going up. And so I wonder if it really has something to do with participation in the market. Demand, use Asia as an example, like great demand across the board, I think it's a supply constrained market. And we feel that because we sell exclusives. And so we can see the imbalance between where the market's trading on a traditional or discretionary basis, and then the bids we get in exclusives. There's a wide gap between them. And so I don't know if you do a whole lot of analysis on the supply side of it, but I would think supply might be changing a little bit in Asia. The only way we can really see that is by looking at a very, very high level and seeing what the lendable amounts are and, and what the allocation is between all the different markets. I don't have that information to hand, but there's a good point and that's something to look into going forward. The only other point that I would make about Asia in general is that, you know, the top 10 shorted stocks, most shorted stocks, if you like, in, in Asia were really driven by Korea in Taiwan. There was an Australian name, the BHP Group, which had the delisting of the UK line of its shares that caused the arbitrage in the markets. That made that name spike in particular. And there was a Hong Kong name, but otherwise it's all Taiwan and Korea that's really driving the revenues there. Not surprising, the the smaller kind of EM market. Flipping back to Europe, are you seeing numbers year over year, quarter or half over half, improving in the non-developed markets, so the EM markets in Europe? The ones that we list, and it's only really those, so the ones that we list in our tables, which is anything over about a million dollars in revenues, all I can really see here is Greece. And I wouldn't have thought there was too much participation in Greece these days. I know that it, it was a market that opened up, but then, you know, supply and demand kind of fell away a little bit. There's South Africa in there. Um, South Africa had a modest year, to be honest. The revenues generated in South Africa year on year were up 15% to $21 million. So that's fairly decent. Average utilisation was up 4.5% as well. And the weighted fee 
was up 7%, but otherwise there wasn't too much participation in the emerging markets in Europe. It was all pretty much the more traditional markets, France, Germany, Sweden, Switzerland, Norway, UK, etc. Yep. Scandies makes sense from a sector perspective in terms of the weightings. And I hadn't thought about that, but that makes sense. Back to your GDR, ADR comment about year over year down. That's another thing I hadn't thought about, but that is not going to affect to Russia, I suppose, on that. Like the it just yes. uh, carrying receipts versus the ords. You almost want to think twice about what the risk parameters are for holding that asset. And so having them on loan, a really interesting market shift, I think, or dynamic that you don't really think about too much. And there's also, in terms of the ADR market, there's the US regulator looking to delist the Chinese ADRs from the New York yeah. Stock Exchange due to right. financial disclosure right. concerns. And I think that where you've seen that come into play, there must be lots of asset owners that are flipping out of the ADRs and perhaps into the, the local lines. So mm. balances are coming off and natural holdings are coming down as well. And therefore, it's probably normal that you're seeing less availability and therefore the revenues are going down as well and the balances are coming off. Out of a lendable market into the non-lendable markets for offshore foreigners. Yeah. Interesting. One trend that I noticed from the paper when you are focused, I think you had the comment in for the U.S. equities or for Americas, is just in terms of collateral and sort of this shift, even though there probably had previously been a trend that the usage of non-cash collateral had been increasing because of hedge funds delevering during the kind of market contraction that's happened in the first half of the year, there's just far less availability of equities available to pledge. And so there's been a bigger shift towards cash collateral, but that shift also is because lenders are also seeking greater cash collateral too, because there's more of a spread in the cash reinvestment markets. And so we're constantly working with lenders that have a profile that seek cash collateral so that they can then reinvest it. That demand has increased in the first half of the year, but yet it's also sort of naturally shifted away from non-cash in the first half of the year too. And I think that your data showed that, right? Am I correct? Yeah. It moved from about 54% to 64% over the first half of the year. Yeah, and I think, which is a pretty think, big increase in six months, if you think of it yeah. that way. No, I agree. And I think you're spot on with your analysis there. I mean, it's definitely to do with fee spreads and you know, coming off of a very low interest rate mark to something that's a little bit more significant, even if you have to wait a little bit of time for the money market reinvestment funds to catch up to price in the full interest rate rise, there's still enough of a spread there to be able to make some money. Right. And so my guess, I would say that that change in collateral percentage change between non-cash shifting to higher amounts of cash is probably the greatest in the US, whereas other markets, I would imagine it would be, you know, if there was much of a difference, it would have been not a dramatic shift. It would have been pretty negligible. Is that fair? And, and Jim, do you agree with that? Most of the shift we've seen is probably heavily centered around U.S. activity, right? No question. Yeah. And I would just add from a nominal or outright perspective, if you're a broker for the last eight, 10 years, you're getting paid close to nothing as a rebate on your cash. And now you're getting paid two plus percent rebate on your cash. And so if you think about it as a funding mechanism or a product that they have on a relative basis, they're getting paid much, much more. And so that adds to it. Everything that the two of you talked about in terms of supply of equities is collateral and the like add to it as well. But yeah, no, it's a shift we've seen. And it helps that some of the lenders are seeking more cash because they want to buy out the curve and improve their yield recovery from a speed perspective more quickly. So I just wonder how long it lasts. I wonder if we shift back 
towards the end of this year into a non-cash market in the U.S. as, as balance sheet management becomes more in tune or in focus. Uh, right. Don't- you've said on a prior podcast, I know, I want to say come October, November, you've already said that you thought that that shift, the trend would start to reverse itself. So we'll see if you end up being right. We, we know how often I'm right. <laughs> in the interesting time, but let me just touch on uh, the fixed yeah. income market very quickly, because they've had an outstanding first half of the year as well. When you look at corporate bonds, they've been absolutely flying off the shelves. So $437 million in revenues, that's 97% increase year yeah, on year. Is, Balances is are 30% awesome. up. Yeah. Fees are up 51% year on year. And it's the highest lending revenue for corps since the start of the, sorry, highest lending revenues for corporate bonds since the beginning of the pandemic. Average on loan balance is $285 billion. That's the highest since 2008. And when you look at what's happening with interest rates, what's happening with inflation, you know, that's only normal that when you see that high yield and non-investment grade sell-off for, through the first six months of the year, there's been a lot of shorting activity in those. So it's normal that we're seeing those sorts of trends in the market. Government bonds also had a brilliant first half of the year, $874 million in revenues. U.S. Treasuries themselves made about 52% of all of those revenues. So they are very, very popular. The top revenue generating bond was the two-year U.S. Treasury, which is normal given interest rate volatility or concerns and inflationary concerns as well. So across the board, I think that to summarize, the first half of 2022 was a very good year. I think going into the second half, given what we've seen in the first half, if you've got the right set of assets, as always, you're going to have a very, very, very good year. But I think that even if you've got an average pool of assets, the value here is quite well spread that hopefully most market participants are going to be able to have some meaningful outperformance in one or two of these sectors. So I think that 2022 is shaping up to be a very good year for securities finance in general. Great. Jim, anything to add to that? Do you have any other crystal ball projections to go along with Matt? No crystal ball. Thanks, Matt. It was really interesting and we'd love to do some more of these with you. We can do it maybe every six months. Yeah, so, well, um, thanks for inviting me. It's been fun. Yes, you have, an op- you have an open invitation to return at any point. So we'll That's look forward kind. to having you again. That's very kind. Thank you very much. Good. Thanks, Matt. Okay. All the best. See you later. Cheers. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope we left you with something interesting and productive to utilize in your daily securities lending activities. And friends, don't forget to subscribe to ESEC Lending Insights wherever you get your podcasts. And now for our disclaimer. This material is for your private information and does not constitute legal tax or investment advice. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy of nor liability for decisions based upon such information. Thank you for listening.